Hello, everyone. This is Ron Bush, and you're listening to the Information Playground. Uh, you may be viewing us on YouTube, but if you're listening to us on WVLP, you're probably in Northwest Indiana, perhaps in Valparaiso. We're located on the FM dial at 103.1. Uh, we're aired on uh, Monday mornings from 8 to 9 and Friday afternoons from 1 to 2. You can also stream us from WVLP at WVLP.org. I encourage you to check out their website. They're a great community radio station. They do a lot in the community, and you can become involved in that. You can be part of the community and, uh, and, and be involved in giving back as well. Uh, we're, you can also find us on just about any podcast platform, uh, starting with Spotify and Apple and Google, on to the rest of them, or you can watch us on YouTube all under the name the information playground and all three names are important because that seems to be a popular name. It isn't information playground. It's the information playground. So that said, um, we're, uh, we're coming to you today. Uh, I'm Ron Bush. I own Ron Bush consulting and we underwrite this program. Uh, Ron Bush consulting is a cybersecurity uh, company, a corporation, and we, uh, we help businesses protect themselves, their clients, their employees, against uh, cyber crime and cyber criminals. That said, the information playground is, uh, is designed to deal with information of all types, not just uh, cyber information or, or tech technologically uh, oriented information programs, but all types of information. We have a special guest with us today, uh, Timothy Ward. Uh, Timothy has co-written or co-authored a book with Gleb Sapersky. Uh, some of you may recall Gleb was on the show, uh, oh, probably a few months ago now, on his book, uh, Never Go With Your Gut. It was a fascinating book, and I still uh, still find a, a lot of use for all the different biases he covered. It's a fascinating book. Um, Timothy um, has co-authored Pro-Truth, and, uh, and Timothy, would you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, we're going to be talking about pro-truth, but perhaps just a, an introduction into it, what it's about, how you came to write it with Gleb. Um, looking forward to having you on today's program. Thank you, Ron. I'm so happy to be here today with you and, of course, with your listeners. So um, pro-truth is all about the importance of truthfulness in politics. And I came to the subject of truth fairly early in my life, both with a spiritual awakening and then a subsequent real interest in the big questions of life which ultimately led me to study philosophy in mm -hmm. university uh, i you know had actually planned a career as a scientist but the big why questions really caught me and that stayed with me as i developed a career as a, as an author then became a journalist and even as a journalist getting to the truth was always something really important to me and the older i've gotten i have to say the more i've been concerned with the small t truth what actually happened rather than the large t truth the value truths the eternal truths of uh, of our religions and our, our great ethical ethical teachings which are really important but you can argue about those forever mm -hmm. and so we are very clear in the book pro truth to distinguish that we are talking here about the importance of small t truth when it comes to politics you know and I'm sure for many of your, uh, your, your listeners, this, this, is, this is obvious. Small T truth is what really happened. If I ate a bowl of oatmeal at the Tasty Diner in Bethesda, Maryland on the 20th of, uh, of April, 2020 at 10 o'clock in the morning, 
that if you were there or if anybody else was there at that time, they could have seen me and they would have been able to know whether I had oatmeal for breakfast or something else. It was either true or false. One of those lovely binary things. It happened or it didn't. This is important in politics because we need small t to agree on small t truths so that people with different big t values can come together and compromise and agree on policy and find a way forward. For example, if there's a pandemic coming to town, what is it? How infectious is it? What are its symptoms? What can be done to treat it? Those are the sorts of truths that science can give you pretty good answers. Mm -hmm. It may change, it may take some time, but you've got scientific answers. So you need people who are able to look at those facts and then decide, well, what are our policy priorities in light of these facts? But what happens in a democracy when instead of that, you have one side saying, ah, this virus, it's a hoax. Mm -hmm. And the other side's side then makes it a huge political issue. No, 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 no. It's, uh, you know, this is important to our way of life that you take this virus seriously. If the truth gets, with the small t gets set aside because people with different values fight about it, you cannot create a functioning democracy. The genius of this country is it was set up so that people with different values have a reason to come together, argue, and find policy. Yeah. If you lose you know, the truth, you lose the heart of democracy. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. As a matter of fact, uh, it's something that I've ruminated over quite a bit in the last, well, in the last four years, but especially in the last year. Um, the... Uh, you know, you, you, you hit all kinds of buttons, honestly, going back to, to being in university and following philosophy. I think, and, and you may, may correct me on this, but I think the idea of relativism, uh, truth being relative to the situation or what's become spin on whatever we, we want to apply, however we want to apply it. I think that begin, like a lot of things in science, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity was never meant to be applied to things like truth, and uh, I don't have other examples ready for this, uh, but I, I've noticed throughout time that a lot of times some theory will be proven or it'll be um, demonstrated to be accurate, like relativity, although people have been trying, to, scientists have been trying to disprove it uh, ever since Einstein came out with it, but it, we tend to take that stuff and apply it in areas that it, it shouldn't apply, and so when we come to truth, you know, when you say truth is relative, well, is your statement relative? Is your statement true? Because, you know, obviously, if truth is relative, what you're saying is just relative to you, because I don't believe that. I believe that true is true. If I say, if I look at, uh, at, at, a, at a piece of paper and I see there's uh, white with black print and blue print on it, um, you know, that's what I see. That's true if I say that. But if you say, well, you know, I'm colorblind and I really can't see all that stuff. So it, it isn't really white, black, and red. It's something else. And, uh, you know, that's all relative to you. And we tend to apply that stuff to all kinds of things that just, I don't know, just really have no, no bearing on, on what is accurate. And I'll use that in, in word of, in place of truth, because truth has become one of those words that can mean just about anything you want it to mean in our society. Right. Now, this is where we make this distinguishment between large T and small T. 
a lot of people have their own personal value systems, their own experiences have given them a worldview. Those are large T things. They're internal. They're really important to us. Mm -hmm. But the small T truths, if you apply those relativistic arguments to them, as you just said, with the piece of paper and the writing on it, that gets ridiculous pretty quickly. Yeah, you can't convince somebody that, you know, the, 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 the blue lettering on this paper is blue if they don't want to believe it. Right. But in our, in our common world, we make these agreements between each other that work good enough so that we can do things together. Mm -hmm. It really ultimately doesn't matter what your experience of blue is and what my experience of blue is. What matters is if we are having a conversation about blue, we both know what we're talking about and can make an agreement on it. Mm -hmm. So I find when people take these complicated philosophical arguments about relativism, and then they try to apply them to matters of fact that are generally well agreed on. And I mean everything from, from climate change to the pandemic to the uh, election results, mm -hmm. right? Um, the reasons people question these small t truths of fact are because they're out of alignment with their large t values. They want the world to be something different than the facts show. But one of the, the terrible things that we've slipped into with the Trump presidency is a post-truth way of doing politics, where you tell people alternative facts, lies, that align with their values. Why? Because it feels good. If somebody tells you something that aligns with your values, you don't feel any stress. If somebody tells you something that doesn't align with your values, let's say you voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 mm -hmm. and she lost, you feel tremendous emotional distress. And if you're told you lost because more people voted for the other candidate, you have to deal with that. And it's painful to yeah. face that kind of disappointment. But if instead you say, oh, actually you didn't lose, there was massive wide scale corruption involving hundreds of election officials and involving many senior Republican politicians, they were all in it, the whole thing is a fraud, that actually makes you feel more comfortable yeah. <laughs> because the small T and the large T are aligned, but that's not democracy. That's also frankly not being an adult, being unable to accept the facts of the matter, even if you don't like them. Yeah, we saw a lot of that of course, with Trump and, and Biden election, we saw it with, uh, with uh, Hillary and Trump, that a lot of the recounts, I mean, this wasn't the first time uh, a candidate demanded a recount and, and different things. 2017, we saw that. We saw that in 2005 with Bush and uh, maybe it was Gore. I know it was, it was 2000. The 2000 election. Uh, it's so close. Yeah. So it's not the first time and it's not the first time that people have been all uh, upset about their candidates. It seems to me you've got several things that affect this. Uh, yes, uh, I love the way you said it. Part of being an adult is being able to accept truth and be able to, to know truth, to deal with truth. I mean, it, it, it kind of, in all of my life, I, I try to look at the worst case scenario I try to look uh, at the best case scenario and I prepare for the worst, I hope for the best. But at the same time, I have to deal with truth. If I've got a problem and I refuse to acknowledge that problem, then that problem can easily overwhelm me. It can easily overcome me. It's only when you acknowledge something as true and then start to deal with it that you can. If yeah. you refuse to acknowledge the truth, then you, you can never deal with it. Absolutely. And here's, some, here's a paradox to be wrong. You and your business, part of your job is to help your clients accept the truth. Mm -hmm. 
And if you lied to your clients and told them what they wanted to hear, well, you wouldn't get hired as a, as a consultant. I'm sure the same is, is true for so many of your listeners. It's true for me and my communications consulting business, which I, which I also do. Nobody would hire a consultant who was unethical and lied like that, just as you wouldn't keep your doctor. If you know your doctor was lying to you, you would fire that person right away. If your spouse you suspected was lying about where they were, how they were dealing with finances, you know, that could be re reason for counseling, if not, if not divorce. We take it very seriously when people in our lives lie to us. And yet there seems to be this acceptance that, oh, well, politicians are going to lie to us. Yeah. Now, politicians probably have more impact in our life, <laughs> than, or at least as much in terms of the actual structure of what our money's being spent on, right, mm -hmm. than, than in our personal life. Why on earth do we accept that? So pro-truth, the movement is all about holding politicians accountable and making it as, and, may, and that means we have to take it as seriously when they lie to us as we would if people close to us in our personal and business relationships would lie. So that's really step one, recognizing truth matters in politics, mm, not accepting the, the canard that all politicians lie. No, all politicians are tempted to lie, but they only do it if we let them. Yeah, the old joke about how can you tell a politician is lying was is when he moves his when he moves his lips or opens his mouth, whatever the joke is. Yeah, it's an old joke, and unfortunately, most of us believe us believe it. Like a lot of other things, uh, uh, you know, politics in uh, Chicago, um, vote early and vote often, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is there truth <laughs> to it? I don't know, and neither does anyone else at this point. That stuff has been told so long that. Uh, you know, people just accept it. I find that an awful lot of our problems, I think, comes to the comes about. Maybe, maybe the way to say this is the chickens are coming home to roost. Mm. We've we've had uh, revisionist history history talked about for the last two or three decades that I'm aware of. Um, people rewriting history, wanting things. Uh, I remember uh, 30 years ago, I was in. Uh, in Denver, and there was an article in the paper about a fourth grade teacher that was teaching the Holocaust had never happened. That's 30 years ago. Um, we have a lot of this stuff that goes on uh, in the schools, in the press. And of course, the press probably takes the, the brunt of this because at the end of the day, all news is censored. There isn't, there isn't any way, there isn't, let me put it this way, there isn't any media that reports world news 24 seven. Even if they only gave each story a minute um, throughout the 24 hours, you still wouldn't get it all on. And they're not gonna do that anyway because some news are going to increase ratings as opposed to other news, which is how CNN got started. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but they said when CNN started, news is no longer news, it's entertainment. Well. I would argue that when Walter Conkright and the other guys did it, it was entertainment then too. As soon as it hit television, and maybe, maybe it's always been entertainment. Um, you've you've got complaints about it throughout history, yellow journalism, and all the rest of it. Absolutely. I mean, as, so I could speak as a as a former journalist my, myself here, and I actually also teach <laughs> people I didn't how to do media interviews. Oh yeah, no, you offended me terribly, Ron, by being so accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but I can recognize the truth. So here's the thing. 
that we have to keep in mind with journalism. What journalism did is it took the natural human tendency to share gossip mm-hmm. and pass on information, and it put it into first written form and then broadcast form, right? Uh, but it was really just an extension of the town crier, hear ye, hear ye, the proclamation of the, the king or, uh, or whatever. And it's a natural thing. We humans are wired to share information. Yeah. Uh, and the, the media developed with two like really important values. One being to share what was of value to people, what was important to people. And the other being to be as accurate as possible. And so those things lead to selection, what stories are gonna be covered and are they gonna be at the top of the news or at the bottom of the news? And then how sure are we that these are true? And good news organizations, other than not, not yellow journalism, rigorously fact check. You know, I've, uh, I've written stories for big magazines and things like that. And you write your story and then they have their fact checkers come back and they call you and they go over every detail. My father who was a journalism journalist before me, had a great story about that once. He wrote a, uh, a, an, an article about a, a good big Canadian politician. He's, he's Canadian. And um, he said something about uh, him combing his hair and the fact checker wrote back to check and demand fact checking on which side of his head this politician parted his hair on. (laughs) (laughs) And so every detail gets fact checked. Now, here's where things have really, and this is in in the best journalism, right? And everybody kind of knows National Enquirer, you know, trust that in in countries where, where, where journalism is young or there's state controlled media or, you know, Russia today, you don't trust that because it's state owned, but independent media, they may have different perspectives. The Wall Street Journal and the, New, the Washington Post have very different perspectives, but they fact check, mm-hmm. right? That's the small T and the large T truth. But what's happened with the rise of the internet is the media's financing models have been utterly gutted. All of their revenues from ads have you know, virtually disappeared. They've been forced to go online. The revenues are much, much less, which means they simply can't afford to fact check the way they used to, and they can't afford nearly as much of a budget. But there's also a big demand. So you get more and more opinion articles and pieces. And there's this rush to get it out quick. You don't have the luxury of 24 hours to fact check. So those two things have eroded the quality of journalism. Even in some of the best papers, they are struggling. Uh, And and that's just just a reality. At the same time, you've got the rise of all of these online platforms the social media driven media, which do which are not interested in truth. They are interested in what hooks people because it aligns with their values. Yeah. That's, that's the, a, a competition now to mainstream media. So the media landscape has changed so much in your lifetime and my run. It's virtually, un, my father's journalism and journalism today, they're virtually unrecognizable these generations apart, but we have not made the adjustment. Many people still see journalism all as one thing. Ah, you can't trust the media. Or they're too trusting. They think there's no difference between CNN and Parler and uh, uh, PBS. <laughs> now, you, again, once again, you hit all kinds of buttons. So um, it, when, I think of, when I think of when I was a kid, I remember reading uh, the local little town newspaper and, and they would often make mistakes uh, and they would have a, a on, right on the front page, uh, corrections. It's a little correction sections. I assume, I don't read the newspaper anymore, but I assume they still do that. 
even then though, and, and again, you go back and I don't know, I better not talk about things I, I'm not sure of, but I've experienced as long as I can remember, newspapers have accepted advertising. So sure. that's really what sells it. A lot of magazines today, and again, I don't buy the paper. I have in the past, it was, they discounted it to almost everything because all the revenue came from advertising. Same is true with magazines. I, I think I, I bought Wired Magazine for five bucks, $5 a year. Well, that's mm. because advertising pays for all that stuff. They just want circulation so they can keep advertising dollars up. Right. If, if you go back to uh, David, uh, David and Chet, David Huntley and no, David Brinkley and Chet Huntley mm -hmm. or the McNeil Lair News Hour, or you go, I mean, any of those, uh, Walter Conkright I already mentioned, they all sold advertising. TV is an advertising medium. And in essence, now you've got the internet, it's the same thing. Um, all of these websites uh, want advertising dollars. They want traffic. They want you to come there so they can sell you something. It, it is amazing to me that people don't recognize that. They tend to, again, believe that altruistically the news is true. Whatever my, my brand is, whether it's CNN or Fox or it's ABC or NBC, wherever I, you get your news, they're not motivated by money. Was it Jerry Maguire that said, follow the money? Well, that's true in, in a good part of life, politics, uh, the media, and just about everything else. If you follow the money in science as well, who funded that study? Well, quite often, you know, if coffee comes out with a really good review, uh, it's good for you, probably funded by some coffee company. If it comes out that it's terrible for you, and occasionally it comes out both ways, um, probably not funded by a coffee company, maybe by a tea company. I don't know. Well, I would say one thing to that, Ron. Um, in, in the credible news organizations, they're quite aware of that, and they do a couple of things. First of all, they often have a, um, a Chinese wall, right? A, a division between the editorial folks who make the news decisions and the sales and ads people. Who run who run the ads now uh the best newspapers they are even they're ready to run stories that may be critical of people who are their advertisers and in fact if you look at the washington post you'll see every now and then they'll write a story about amazon uh, and sometimes it's very harsh very un, very critical right but they will then put in brackets um uh, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, also owns the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. So they make it a point to make sure that they know if they mention somebody who has an interest in their paper, that that, that potential for bias is flagged for any reader, mm -hmm. right? So that's one way that they can boost their own credibility is being really clear that everybody knows, you know, that those sorts of things are, are there. They admit nobody can be free of bias, but really part of being a professional journalist is knowing your bias and doing your best to work around it so that you tell the whole story. Why? Because for a news organization, credibility is the most important thing. Now that doesn't happen when you get to the extremes, whether to the left or the right. There, alignment with values is the most important thing. And so people will say flagrant lies that align with the values of their audience. Have you that's seen... where you get this distortion in, in news and social media because the motivation is different. Credibility doesn't matter, but this alignment does. And so the, and the clicks are more because they hit people's hot button issues. 
but that has been shown to spread far, far more rapidly. And so gossip, rumor, innuendo, and downright flagrant lies sped, are, are just so full on social media. It's back to what Mark Twain's old, Twain's old saying, the uh, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has put its pants on. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mark, Mark Twain. He had great lines. Um, so I wonder if anybody wrote them. No, they didn't. I don't know. Um, so have you seen the uh, documentary Social Dilemma? Yes. It's on Netflix. Yes. Um, for those listening or watching, I encourage you to check it out. If you don't have a, a Netflix uh, membership, um, I mean, if you got friends that do watch it, if you, if, you, if you can afford to or want to buy it, it is honestly, it is an excellent, uh, excellent documentary in the only place I know. So the reason I bring it up is because it's dealing with the internet. So if we look at ads, if we look at articles, if we look at uh, YouTube, whatever it is we look at, everything gets, gets monitored, everything gets recorded. Um, and regular listeners to this program know that everything that happens, whether it's, it's uh, on or near your phone because your conversations are recorded, everything gets, it's all part of big data. Everything gets uh, analyzed, everything gets, gets uh, uh, sold, bought and sold basically. Um, so going forward with that, what you have is you have, regardless of what you watch on the internet or do on the internet, anything you look at, whether it's, it's Ted or it's, uh, Ted talks or it's YouTube, whatever it is, that's going to be recorded. And whatever you're, whenever you're searching for something, it's going to gear you towards that. And we can see it easily on the extremes. If you're alt right or you're, uh, alt left, then then what you look at is going to direct you to that information. So pretty soon, the only facts you see are the facts that that particular viewpoint is showing you. I think that comes through in television as well from the shows that we watch. They also analyze all that stuff. And if, you, if you're on cable, you'll notice that sometimes a commercial will start, but immediately there's another commercial that gets put in. Sometimes that's, a, that's an honest mistake or it's it's a different region. Sometimes it's because you're, you're not supposed to watch that. They know that you'll like this ad better. Again, at the end of the day, follow the money. Um, I, I, your thoughts on that? Well, I think we are headed to a world where more and more uh, each individual is parsed as a product. Yeah, and um, I I really right aligned with what you're saying. This thing, if it's free, then you are the product. Yeah. If <laughs> right? you're not on the menu, you're on the the table. You know, right? I mean, right. if you're not at the table, you're on the you're menu. On the table, so, exactly. Yeah. And this is something that we are being under under informed about being free will, customer choice. These are the things that we're being told. Customer mm -hmm. is king, right? right but we are being uh, sliced and diced yeah. by, these, by these, these companies. And so that's, not, that's just plain not an honest transaction. I wonder if people are going to end up turning away from much social media as, uh, as a result. I, I'm certainly finding um, that whatever I look at in social media, I get fed more of. But here's what often happens in social media. You tend to look at the stuff that is most alarming to you, the yeah. stuff you disagree with or the stuff that is inflammatory, that creates fear. 
And so since that stuff tends to get our attention more because that's how our brains are wired, mm -hmm. we, we have heightened sense of alert for, for feelings of, of threat. Right. But we tend to look at those feelings of threat more often, and so they get magnified. And so our social media bubbles become more and more filled with danger. And because our ability to reason goes down when we are confronted danger, the opportunity for misinformation also becomes bigger. So we end up living in a big, dirty bubble yeah. of misinformation online. Yeah. And this is actually what pro-truth, one of the biggest things we take on here is how you can clean your bubble. Great. <laughs> the steps that you can take to start pushing back, not, not fall prey to any misinformation, and most importantly, not spread it to others in your network where it bounces around and around and around. And so it's at the heart of the pro-truth book is the pro-truth pledge, which is the movement Gleb started. It's an online pledge you can take, which commits you to, or which, for which you will commit to following 12 truthful behaviors in your online presence, especially Wonderful. regarding politics. Wonderful. Let's pick up with that. We're at the halfway point and I need to remind folks who they're listening to and uh, remind them how they can find us. So um, it's, uh, this is the information playground. You're probably listening to us in one of three ways. Um, WVLP is a, a station that I've been affiliated with for years. I'm Ron Bush, by the way. I own Ron Bush Consulting. And if you're curious about your business being protected, ronbushconsulting.com is an excellent uh, website. Check me out and, uh, and send me an email if you're curious. But WVLP is a, a station that I started with. I've been with them for years now. They're a great community radio station. WVLP.org is a great way to stream it. Uh, or you can, if you're local, you can listen to it at 103.1 FM. We are aired uh, at 8 a.m. on Mondays and at 1 p.m. on Fridays. Um, again, check out WVLP.org. I think uh, you'll love the website and I hope you get involved with them. You can also find us on any of the podcast or YouTube channels under The Information Playground. Um, you can find us on demand. You'll find a host of shows like this and other shows. Some specialize in cybersecurity. Some are like this. Uh, a lot of authors on. Uh, really, first time I've met you, Timothy, and this has been a joy. Um, I have a lot of these thoughts and I have a lot of these conversations, but I don't usually have anyone better informed than I am. It's, uh, it's really exciting for me. So, so check us out. Um, check out the information playground. Check out uh, what's, what we've got there in the past. Uh, subscribe if you, uh, if you like it. I'd love to hear from you. So Timothy, um, tell us again how folks might be able to reach you if they're interested. And then I want to get back to the book. Sure. The best way is through the website that is also connected with the book, and that is protruthpledge.org. Protruthpledge.org. And uh, you can also easily find their links to, links to the book, and um, you can just fall, go through the information pane there if you want to get in touch with me or with the founder of the organization, Gleb Spursky, my co-author. Excellent. I appreciate that. I'll have to check it out. I didn't, as I told you before we, uh, we started, I hadn't, hadn't had a chance to, to uh, check out the book or get into it, but I really appreciate Gleb. Uh, uh, Gleb was on before I read his, his previous book, uh, Never Go With Your Gut, as I, mm -hmm. I think I said at the beginning. 
just loved it. And so when he, uh, when he touched base with me, I, I said, yeah, let's do this. So let's get into to, to pro-truth. You, uh, you had mentioned, uh, I think you were just getting started on what we can do. So let's pick up where we left off. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I want to first of all say, I think all of your listeners who are in the cybersecurity business are going to get this really, really easily because you are in the business of keeping malicious, damaging code mm -hmm. out of your clients and also preventing anything that is good within your clients from being stolen, mm -hmm. right? So it's all about information and how you can build secure walls between them. And I would say that one of the big challenges that we face now in America is that the wall between lies and truthfulness has become very porous, it's crumbled. Yes. And that is a wall we need. There's some walls maybe we don't need, but this is a wall we do need. And we need to be very clear about what information comes into our mind that's a lie and what information comes into our mind that's truth. And similarly, whether or not what we say is truth or is a lie. And this is the heart of what pro-truth is all about. First of all, it, there, the first part of the book is defensive chapters, how you can spot the lies politicians are tempted to tell when they're incoming. Mm -hmm. When you are getting fed information from politicians, there's a, there's, there's a suite of kinds of lies that they tend to tell. Why do they tend to tell these lies? Because we tend to fall for them. Politicians are kind of like an expert fly fisherman who knows how to craft a fly mm -hmm. that will fool a fish into biting it. A fly is a lie. <laughs> Great metaphor. When politicians lie, they are crafting it so that it looks like the truth so that we will follow it hook, line, and sinker. So anybody who naively trusts politician is like that fish who's never been exposed to a hook before, right? right? And we end up being misled and sometimes really to, 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 great, to great harm, right? Uh, politicians tell lies, those lies lead to bad policies, corruption, uh, pol uh, and, and ultimately authoritarianism, not just in, here in the United States, we're dealing with the risk of that right now, but in countries all over the world, like Turkey, Hungary, Poland, where democracies have suffered under authoritarian leaders who started off by lying to people who wanted to hear those lies. Yeah. So you've got to watch, you've got to be able to spot those lies when they're incoming. Our first chapter is called Nine Lies. And it details the nine kinds of lies that politicians tend to tell. I then add one in the next chapter. Um, and I'd love to, if you like, if there's, if you want me to go into a little bit more detail about sure. some of those. Sure. So I'll talk about the ones that are some of the ones that are easy to spot first, and then I'll talk about some of the harder ones. But one of the easy ones is something we call a glittering generality. And that is a lie that's wrapped up in an emotional statement that makes us feel very strongly aligned with what the speaker is saying. So um, someone may talk about uh, their policy, but then say, you know, this is really about patriotism. This policy is about love of your country, or, you know, this policy really is honoring veterans, mm -hmm. you know, and people say, yeah, yeah, because they feel the emotion of the generality very strongly. They don't actually look at what's wrapped, what's in the middle of it. You know, if you have to feed a dog a pill, what do you do? You wrap it in meat. Uh -huh. 
and you feed the, the dog the pill, they swallow it. Well, if you hear a politician start talking in glowing fuzzy terms about those things, look out, what's the pill inside? Yeah. <laughs> so this whole, so that's one of the easy ones, but one of the hard ones is something that I call palter. That's actually the technical name is paltering. It's a legal term. What it means is covering a big lie with a small truth. And I've got a great metaphor for this. You know, you can block out the sun with a quarter. Yeah. Right. If you hold the quarter close to your eye, you can't see the sun. It'll eclipse it. Right. Similarly, politicians are pretty good at pulling out one tiny fact and presenting it in such a way that it hides a much bigger reality. So, for example, and, and, and we talk about many different cases in, in this. Let me just take one around um, gun control. The politician who picks specific statistics that show things about suicide rates going down if there are stricter gun control laws. Well, that may be a true statistic, but there may be lots of other statistics that talk about other causes of suicide that make it seem, make it really clear that that one statistic doesn't actually give you anything close to the whole picture if you're trying to argue the higher gun restrictions create lower suicide rates. So it's more than just cherry picking facts. It's taking a fact and using it to lie about something larger. So you've got to really watch out for, for that. Uh, there's, a, there's a book that uh, Bill Gates recommended, I think it was last year, might have been the year before, called Factfulness. Now, the gentleman that wrote mm. it died. He's, he's uh, deceased now. In fact, he died not too long after writing the book. But it's, a, it's an excellent book in that he takes a lot of that stuff that we believe. And he says, well, just exactly what you said. This is that statistic that, um, that people recognize. Now, here's all the rest of the statistics from around the globe that shed a more accurate light on what we're discussing. Right. It's an excellent book. I, I'm really looking forward to reading yours. Honestly, I, I, I didn't know anything about it before this conversation. Uh, you've got me hooked already. You've, uh, you're, you're reeling me, you reeled me in a while back, actually. So looking forward to it. <laughs> so, so those are two different types of lies. Are there any others we should talk about before we move on? Yes. There's a whole chapter that we devote to uh, cognitive bias called the illusory truth effect. Okay. This is a very particular type of lie, often called the big lie. But there's so much research, and Gleb has done a lot of the, 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 the work on this, uh, my co-author. When you hear something repeated again and then again and again, the idea becomes easier for our mind to understand. And the easier it is for something to, for our mind to understand it, the more we tend to think of it as true. So um, let's take a, a, a fanciful example. Um, back before Columbus, everybody thought the world was flat. Mm -hmm. When Columbus came along and said, you know, I think the world may be round, people really just laughed at him. They thought, you crazy, <laughs> for really good reasons. Um, but people went and explored. You started seeing globes appear. You know, over the course of, you know, over 100 years, people started to get it that the world was round. A lot of people who'd never traveled out of their village when confronted with the idea, you know, the world is round because they'd heard it lots of times before, we're more likely to say, oh yeah, the world's round. Oh, of course, that makes sense. Yeah. So the more often we hear something, the easier it is to think it's true. But politicians can use that 
to spread a lie. All they need to do is repeat it again and again and again. So you got to watch out for politicians who repeat something because the more because they are creating the illusion of truth. Mm -hmm. so you have to find independent ways of checking those facts. What we do is we say, if you get a politician who may be giving you the big lie, reverse it and see whether or not that seems true. Do some research for yourself. Let's go to one we talk about in the book, Crooked Hillary. Okay. Now, Donald Trump said that probably a hundred times and a hundred tweets a day for yeah. months and months and months and months. I remember during that election ending up speaking with some people who, you know, we're not particularly political, um, but they would say, yeah, but Hillary, there's just something I don't trust about her. I'd say, really what? And yeah. they say, I, I don't know. I just, there's just something not trustworthy about her. The big lie crooked Hillary got in there, got behind their own, their own, their own filters. Now, the truth is, by the time Hillary was running for president, she had been in the public eye so long. She had been investigated and vetted by Republican committees so many times. Yeah. If there was anything crooked about her, it would probably have been found yeah. by then. But yeah. people bought the persistent lie. So that's a tough one. We can't protect ourselves from that. We have to be ready to hear a lie and immediately flip it in our head. So with, with Crooked Hillary, what you do is you say, oh, Crooked Hillary, is Hillary a person with integrity? Let's investigate that. Investigate, is Hillary a person with integrity? Mm -hmm. See if you can prove the opposite. And if you can, just, just do a search. Is there actually evidence that she has been a person who's, who's lived with integrity? I'm not going to suggest one way or the other on that. Right. Um, and maybe, like most people, it would be someplace in, in between. But then you're working from the opposite hypothesis, and that can protect you from the damaging one. Because whenever, uh, whenever you hear that coming your way, you could say, you hear Crooked Hillary, and you say, hmm, Hillary with integrity. That actually has more weight to it. Then spread your findings. That's the key thing. So yeah. that you're starting to counter the impact of the big lie. So the whole election fraud thing that has been going on through much of December and January. What right. you could say is, hmm, these elections were well conducted just like every other election in this country. What's the evidence? Well, there were, to my count, 50 cases of election fraud heard by judges, many of them appointed by Trump himself. Yeah. 49 of those cases were dismissed. The one that wasn't was a rather insignificant thing in terms of were there, was there really election fraud? So do I trust what judges who have examined the evidence said? That's actually a pretty strong marker that there was fraud. What's the evidence that there was not fraud? What's the evidence that there was fraud? There's not really anything outside of those particular cases other than a lot of repetition. Yeah. So if you apply this, this methodology, which I explain in this whole chapter, you can start to protect yourself from the big lie. And we need to all get better at that. So let me ask you a question. It's something I've wondered about for years. Uh, you mentioned Hillary Clinton, uh, going back to, uh, to when uh, Bill ran, we had the Clinton Chronicles. Right. Um, and, and I read that book. There was documented, supposedly documented proof in that book that he had done a bunch of things that he should have gone to jail for. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a book on uh, uh, Obama, it was called uh, Culture of Corruption. Same, same thing, all this different stuff. And, and a lot of this stuff is pulled from uh, 
places like the New York Times, Chicago Trib, those kind of papers that you, you know, expect to lean left. Why are they going after this person? You find the same stuff on the right. Uh, there was a book, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was something about uh, politicians and uh, all the stuff that they get involved in. One was, uh, was about uh, on the stocks insider training, which is not illegal. If you're a senator and you're getting ready to pass a bill that's going to maybe affect the uh, price of a, of a piece of land or uh, some, some industry would be more, more likely well, you invest or sell, depending on what the, how that bill is going to affect it. You know what you're going to do. It hasn't hit the press yet what you're going to do. But now you've made money because you know what's right. coming. You and I go to jail for that. They don't. And so there was, a, there was a book about that. Where I'm going with this is you've got all kinds of stuff, often printed by reliable publishers. I don't remember if Random House did any of those. But, but let's say for a moment it's a, it's a publisher of that ilk. Um, I mean, why don't they, I mean, if you got all this proof that the guy did something crooked, why don't they go to jail? Why, why doesn't someone prosecute them? Does that well, mean that since nothing happened, that it's all a bunch of lies? I would say, first of all, that um, just, just as you correctly indicted the, the media for running on advertisement. Uh -huh. So publishing companies run on book sales. Yes. And even big book companies may be sorely tempted to publish a book by an author who they know the book will sell because they have a big name or they have an inflammatory topic and they may not do the fact checking in the same way that a really reputable media company will. Um, now there are risks to, to them for, for doing that but I would say just because it's published by a good publisher doesn't mean that you should trust everything that's in its covers better is to vet the author him or herself. If you read a book that slams the Obama administration by um, a uh, active Republican pollster, you know, by say Karl Rove or somebody like that, right. uh -huh. then it, it, it's up to you to get that person's perspective rather than taking them as a neutral, neutral voice. Uh, there's also the risk of, you know, you could probably go through any newspaper anywhere and pick and choose bits and pieces that paint a negative portrayal of anybody famous. Right. Um, just those bits and pieces may not actually tell you the whole story, but somebody who's looking to present, well, somebody who has a narrative in mind can, fit, can take, cherry pick, pick the facts and create the story that they want. So I would say you have to really watch who's the author and do they have a partisan bias yeah. and just know what that bias is before you swallow the hook of that particular book. I generally don't read um, books that try to slam politicians on either side. The, the last one I read was uh, Mary Trump's book about her uncle. And I figured because she was a relative of Donald Trump and grew up with him, she might have an interesting perspective. I suspect she did. I didn't read uh, yeah. it. Yeah. But even then I read it skeptically because her perspective was not one of a, of a, of a friendly relationship with her with her uncle. Trump um, is one of those, those folks. He's not a politician. He's a businessman, but, but he had more, more weirdos come out of the closet when he got elected that, uh, than just about, but of course, career politicians won't have that. They will be in, in different circles. Right. I guess, you know, it, right. it makes sense when you think about it logically. Right. So we're getting down to the wire. What can people do aside from the research we've just discussed? What can people do to, to, uh, 
protect themselves, to make the right decisions, live the, you know, right. with the right choices. Yeah. yeah. So there's the three things. First of all, read the book, learn how to protect yourself. It's all in there. We talked about some of the techniques. Sign the pro-truth pledge. This not only commits you to cleaning your bubble, mm -hmm. but it also helps build awareness the truth matters. So you can post about it as as well, uh, and then you can share it. If, if any of your colleagues or, or friends on Facebook or social media sp spread misinformation, you can tell them about the pro-truth pledge and help them cleanse their own, cleanse their own bubble. And then the, uh, by the way, over a thousand elected officials have signed the pro-truth pledge. So it's having an impact wow. on people of both parties who run on the, right now we've got seven sitting Congress people who've signed the pro-truth pledge. No presidential candidates yet, but we're working on it. And then yeah. beyond that, you can join the pro-truth movement, either through the, the website that we've got or just through your, your own orientation. Present truth as a value that matters in a democracy. Talk about it. Share it. If people spread things that are misinformation, particularly if you feel you're on their side, if your friends spread, say stuff, tell them. That's not helping our side by spreading things that are obviously false. Here is a fact check site that shows what you've said is a lie. Respectfully, let's take that down so that our side is seen as credible. Yeah. Yeah. So well those said. three things, protect yourself, cleanse your bubble, join the movement is what Great. you can do to help make truth matter. Let's talk about, uh, we've got a few minutes now. So let's let's switch to probably the thing the biggest thing on people's minds since the elections out of the way the inauguration will happen uh, uh, next tuesday uh, on the 20th covid-19 has been a a real um gosh i don't know i don't know what word to put with it i mean we've got this pandemic here we're back to truth we we don't know where it came from all this stuff about bats and and China and all this stuff. Uh, I mean, it's gone back and forth. China's spreading things. Uh, uh, to your point, uh, there's an excellent book, both on, uh, on Russia, Sandworm, and I don't recall the authors, but it talks about uh, Fuzzy Bear, which is an APT, an advanced persistent threat. Um, but it also talks about other, other uh, Russian hackers. Uh, family of hackers, a group of hackers. They work for the GRU, which replaced the KGB. Uh, the, the big uh, um, breach that we just had, the solar winds breach, which it looks like it's, uh, I've read uh, yesterday. Now, again, I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading uh, uh, publishers and, and uh, in this case, it was Cypher, uh, Cypher Brief, I believe, which I, I have trusted in the past, but you're right. I, and honestly, you never can stop investigating who you're who you're reading or where you're getting your your news from because just because they're telling you the truth today doesn't mean they always tell you the truth you've always got to fact check this stuff but uh, but i understand that it's well over a hundred agencies federal agencies that mm -hmm. now are part of this breach mm -hmm. of the fortune 500 i've read 482 uh, are a part of this breach initially it was 425 um they had 18,000 clients that were on this Orion platform Oof. that SolarWinds winds, uh, 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 got hacked. Um, disappointedly, one of the passwords is reported to have been SolarWinds123. Um, 
I, I preach strong and long passwords. And again, regular viewers and listeners will know that it's 16 characters, upper, lower case, special characters and numbers, and never reuse them. SolarWinds123, a hacker doesn't have to use password cracking software. You can guess that. So um, the only reason they hadn't been hacked before probably was because nobody thought they would be that simple. They didn't try to guess it. Um, in any case, the, uh, so, so we've got all this stuff going on, but COVID-19 is just, I mentioned solar winds may be the story of 2021. 2020 was COVID-19. And we had all this misinformation. We had scientists telling us that it could stay, the virus can stay on, on counters for up to 14 days. And that got reduced. And now a couple of months ago, one scientist said, if you're still wiping down the counters every 30 minutes, you're wasting your time because it only lives a few minutes. You know, all this stuff is, is as we get to know it, my problem is that it gets reported before we know it. It's theory when it gets reported. And right. so people don't know what to do. I think that we're going to see a, a, a huge hit to our economy in this year coming. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how many restaurants and, and pubs and, and what have you have gone out of business, but I sure see a lot of vacancies when I drive by malls. Yes. Um, other businesses too, obviously. So what are your thoughts on there? Uh, uh, Gleb has uh, issued a white paper that says there's, uh, there's two new strains and they, they, uh, uh, are reported to be much more contagious than the, than the ones that we have. What do we believe? How do we know what to believe? CDC has been hacked. Um, WHO is over in China now. And, you know, Trump threw a whole bunch of water on the, on the uh, WHO, the organization. How do we believe and how do we know what to do? And how do we get past this? There's a right. tall question. Yeah. So let, let me go first to the WHO uh, in, in China thing. It's going to be interesting to see what they come up with, and then it will be interesting to see the analysis of what they come up with, because they'll also be publishing their data. But other experts and health health reporters and professionals will make of that. Um, I think this really is important to get to the to the bottom of. I think the focus needs to be more than just on finding out where did it come from, but also there needs to be, and what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. I'd say there's a, a small but a realistic possibility that it might have been something that came from a lab. It does look, from what I've read, that it's not likely originated in a lab, might have originated in a bat, ended up to a lab, and then gotten released. But it's much more likely, based on what I've read before, that it originated in somebody catching an animal that had caught it from an animal and that's the that's the, the story of transition that makes the most sense based on what we know right right now but that's not the full story the full story is why the hell are we allowing wet markets in china to reopen or really markets anywhere that are selling wild animals in areas like the congo like southern china where unknown viruses exist in wild populations why are we not regulating those and shutting those down as a global health public good? There's plans out for those, but any attempt to get to the bottom of what caused it should be aligned with people being ready to put some budget towards making sure it never happens again. Yeah. It would cost strings? about $20 billion to shut down all, all to, 
all illegal wildlife trafficking in the world. It cost more than $16 trillion this year to cope with the destruction of this one pandemic. Anybody who does a risk benefit analysis <laughs> might want yeah. to really see that shutting <laughs> those damn markets down should yeah. be job number one. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned Africa because South Africa is where one of the new strains are from. The other one is that we've discovered it in, in the UK. Um, I'm, you know, uh, the UK has a lot of, uh, They've got a, I mean, we have immigration in this country, but they have a different immigration issue or, or results yeah. than we do. And, you know, the thing we have to remember is where these strains are discovered doesn't necessarily mean that's where they came True. from. And they're all variations of what jumped out of China. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the Spanish flu epidemic, it right. didn't come from Spain. It actually came from the United States, as far as anybody can tell. Really? But it was discovered in Spain after it had been, well, because we're in the middle of the second world war, right? <laughs> no, the first world war. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes, of course, right. The first, yeah. the first world war. Yeah, yeah, that, that had to be a time that people were really, uh, I mean, we are anxious today, but can you imagine fighting the first world war? It's labeled as the war to end all wars. We'd never seen that kind of, uh, of uh, right. death and, and all of the stuff that went on with that. And here people are dying of the Spanish flu at the same time. Right. Um, had to be a, a, a time of great, uh, I don't know, emotional upheaval, I, I would guess. Yes. And, you know, you think of that moment in time when people thought they were fighting the war to end all wars, how wrong were they yeah. about what the future held? And it makes you wonder right now for us, how wrong are we when we think about what the future is going to hold for us? So, the other piece of truth is being ready to question your assumptions about the future because those aren't grounded in fact. They're grounded in yesterday. Yeah. A good friend of mine just finished a book. He might be a great guest for your show called Learning from Tomorrow. And it's about the art of strategic foresight and how this is changing the way businesses, governments, and organizations operate. Sounds fascinating. We'll have to talk off air. So we're, uh, we're down to the last uh, two minutes. One minute for a last thought. Want to hold up your book and uh, uh, plug it one more time, how they can yeah. reach you? Pro Truth, the book available anywhere. ProTruthPledge.org. To find out about the Pro Truth Pledge, to read it, sign it, share it with your friends, cleanse your bubble, make truth matter in politics. This is a turning point for the nation. We can turn our backs from post-truth politics, demand our politicians speak with integrity, especially anybody who voted for the new president, hold them to account. They're all tempted to lie. Hold them to account. Get politicians from your party to sign the pledge so that they'll, be, they'll feel the pain if they violate it. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for being with us. Um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, you've been listening to the Information Playground. Again, tune us in if you're able to at uh, 103.1 FM. If you're in Valparaiso, certainly check us out at wvlp.org. And um, by all means, check us out on the, under the Information Playground on... Uh, I must have a bad back problem. <laughs> Stiff. Oh, I, I got news for you. The older you get, the worse it gets. So I... <laughs> But in any case, uh, check us out uh, under the Information Playground on YouTube and any of the podcast uh, platforms, I believe. So thank you for being with us. Uh, join us next time and uh, stay safe.
stay healthy. Thank you.